For the past 11 years, we have, after relenting to the pleadings of our daughters, been living with a cat. They moved away long ago, leaving Lola, who seems permanently disdainful of us, behind. Don't get me wrong. She's a good cat, well-behaved. She rings the little bell that's tied to our back door when she wants out and energetically knocks on the porch window when she wants in. On warm summer nights, she'll often stay out till three in the morning, leap to the windowsill on the landing halfway up the stairs, and meow until I wake up to let her in. She has me well trained. In the morning, following these nightly escapades, I'll often find one, two, even three dead mice, or rather their dissected remains on the front porch. How she manages to eat everything except the shiny kidney and sometimes a tail remains a mystery. I had heard that cats bring dead or half-dead mice to their human owners to teach them how to hunt. Given our lack of responsive learning, I've always been impressed by Lola's patience, her unwillingness to give up on us. But recently I came across a different theory, that animals might leave us presents to show their gratitude. Apparently a crow in Seattle repeatedly brought shiny objects, screws, buttons and the like, to the little girl who'd been feeding it. The idea does rather challenge my view of Lola. Perhaps her mouse gifts are expressions of gratitude. And she's not the rude and affectionless cat I thought her to be. I don't mean to sound ungrateful. I am grateful to Lola. Grateful for her warm furry body as it snores softly in the crook of my knees through winter nights. Grateful for every dead mouse on my porch, which is one less alive one in my house. My mom and I have been working in her garden these past October weeks. We're cleaning up for winter, cutting back peonies, carefully pulling down morning glory vines that have intertwined with pink climbing roses. The dahlias are safely in her cold cellar, and the goldfinches have emptied the enormous sunflowers that were allowed to self-seed through the vegetable garden. We're harvesting sweet Brussels sprouts and kale now, saving green tomatoes for a sunny windowsill, and digging for thick, misshapen carrots. We're racing against time, know that it will only take one hard frost to kill the last of the tender beans. And we both know that it can't go on, that we're near the end of the season. Soon comes the beginning of winter's dark rest. Every spring I marvel at the seed envelope's promises, an improbable invitation to a feast. And every fall I'm stunned and grateful for what nature has given us. There is much talk of gratitude these days. We are urged to keep journals, 
take time daily to reflect and express our thanks for what we have. A wholesome activity that promises better sleep, a better life, a better death. But maybe gratitude shouldn't be so much about what we have, nor should we necessarily expect a reward, some sort of karmic dessert for our efforts. Gratitude is not a transaction, not some cosmic tit-for-tat. I wonder if gratitude is best kept to awe, to being in this world, grateful for life and for death, which, like bookends, shapes and contains our one short life. Through the ages, We've been told that to remember death is to celebrate life. Medieval monks kept human skulls, momenta mori, in their cells to remind them of their own passing days. And in lockets around their necks, Victorian ladies carried intricately woven momenta, woven hair snippets of a beloved deceased sister, I don't think you need either skulls nor dead hair to celebrate life. All you need to do is step out into the dying light of an October day, smell the decay of leaves, and remember that despite it all, despite all the heartache, all the grief, there's so much to be grateful for. <laughs>